0: Guys, I want to reiterate, uh, I like to use this right here. This is a scripture journal that we have free of cost back there. Uh, This is the Gospel of John. On one side is the text. On the other side, it's just uh, lined paper. So as we're going through, if you would be walking through and you see the points and things stand out to you as we're going through the book of John, grab one of those journals, walk with it, uh, walk through that with us. And you can have all your notes in one place. That's just our gift to you. We want to be able to make sure that you are a scripture-saturated people, people who are in the Word of God. So like I said, on the back table back there, we also have Bibles and books and uh, uh, little pamphlets that show us how to read uh, scripture. We use the observe, interpret, apply method here at Salt and Light. Uh, We found that it's just very easy to have those tools. If you're confused about what I'm talking about, on the back of our bulletin, it says tools for the body, and it has observe, and when we're walking through text, it's what does the text say, interpret, what does it mean, Application How does I change? How do I need to change? And then the Acts Prayer, and then our mission statement and the five core values. You'll see down there that we are scripture saturated, prayerful people, committed to gospel unity, Christ centered community, and grace driven service. All of this for the glory of God. So I just want to reiterate those things that those are gifts back there that you can have. Um, But. Before we get any further, I just want to pray for us. I'm so excited about the second half of this story, and it was just such a ministering thing to me while walking through it this week. Um, So, yeah, let, let us pray. Jesus, you are the King of kings, Lord of lords, and there is nothing I can say that can do anything. Apart from your power and grace and mercy. I pray that you will take blind eyes and allow us to see. I pray that you would change hearts and stony hearts and allow them to come alive. I pray that even those who are can't hear, I pray that you would open up their ears to hear what you have to say for us. Lord, I know that as we go into the twenty twenty and we've seen so much up and downs with the pandemic and the election and all these things but you are the one who is firm. You are the one that has stability. You are the one that we can look at for clarity. Father, teach us to gaze upon you, not just glance at you, but gaze upon you to have our eyes fixated on you today. I pray that you would speak, not that I would speak, but you would speak, and you would transform these men and women into the image and likeness of your Son. That's what we want to see here at Salt and Light is we want to see people conformed to the image of Jesus, his actions, seeing how he sees, loving how he loves. But we cannot do that apart from your spirit. So, Lord, I pray that your spirit would be present and active here today. Pray this in Jesus name. Amen. So, guys, we are in John 9. So if you want to open up your Bible or, like I said, if you have one of these scripture journals. Uh, You can open up to John 9. And last week we laid the groundwork for Jesus' redemptive act of healing the man born blind. And ultimately we will find out that this man becomes a follower of Jesus. We saw a few things last week that Jesus sees, right? We we saw that he sees and his disciples see Jesus' works. We saw that. But ultimately we saw that the blind man himself sees. And it's an easy miracle to see here. The one that gives the blind man the gift of sight. Jesus does this. It's easy to see this and say it's a wonderful thing. It's an amazing thing. It's a breathtaking thing. But I want us to be moved by two other things that we saw last week. This is why I love the OIA Bible study method. You observe first, you take note of everything that is happening. First, Jesus saw sinners. Jesus saw sinners. Jesus sees the unclean. He sees those who the world would overlook. So let us have our hearts softened by the fact that Jesus isn't some God who's like an absentee landlord. He's not some slumlord. Jesus isn't a God who is avoiding you, right? He's wanting to, you know, you just just stay out of his way. If you would just shut up and sit down. Like, our God is not like that. That's why I'm so comforted in the scriptures when I see that Jesus is the one who draws near to the lost and forgotten. That's the first thing that I see, besides the main miracle of a man regaining his sight, that Jesus sees. The second, Jesus takes time to teach his disciples. Isn't that a glorious thing? Isn't that a good thing? What good news that is. I've heard it said that I'm not where I want to be, but thank goodness I'm not where I was. Right? I am not where I want to be, but thank goodness I am not where I was. And I thank Jesus that he is willing to keep me in his hands, teaching me day in and day out. Jesus is in the business of teaching his people. We don't have to fall in hopelessness and not know what is going on. Jesus is in the business of loving and teaching his disciples. And this should come as a great comfort to us that the Lord, our Savior, is the one who sees. Even if we're far off, Jesus sees, and he doesn't keep walking, he doesn't keep passing by. He draws near to sinners, to the broken, to the heartbroken, to the downcast, to the depressed, to the unclean. In order to see like Jesus, we must see ourselves correctly. First, we need to see ourselves like the blind man in this story. We need to understand, just like the blind man, Everyone is blind spiritually from birth. And thank goodness we see that Jesus draws near to the blind. Thank goodness that Jesus draws near to the blind. Nothing in ourselves can force us to see. And that's challenging. That's hard. That's difficult. But the reality is nothing in ourselves can force us to see. But this is where the grace through faith gives us sight. It is Jesus who saves us. We need to trust in the word of Jesus. We need to trust in his words. We need to trust. And what is trust? Trust is obeying, right? If I trust a pilot, I will get on the plane. So I want to make it very clear before we go into the story seeing how Christ works in our life can lead to different responses in the world. That's why I wanted to give us an overview of what we talked about last week. I want us to have this stuff in the forefront of our mind. So I want to make it very clear. I want to draw out some points between Christ, the blind man, and us today as just a foundational point as we move forward, right? I want us to have these things in the forefront of our mind. We will see how this man... The blind man has an assault on his character, how he's a victim of constant harassment, ultimately being kicked out of the synagogue. And the synagogue is just the Jewish version of a church. This is where people came to hear the word of God proclaimed. So they were kicked out of church. But I want us to remember a little bit of the context of the story before we go any further. First, the blind man in this story, in the beginning, was found outside the temple. Remember, Jesus was getting about ready to get stoned and killed and he slips away and he leaves the temple grounds. And then as he walks by, he sees this blind man. So what does it signify that this blind man is found outside the temple? The temple is where God dwells, according to first century. Where we can know and experience God, we can be together in fellowship with his people. But this man, in his natural condition, is a sinner and he's alienated from God, but the temple draws near to him. We have to understand that. The beggar blind from birth, therefore, is unable to see the Savior when the Savior approaches him. This blind beggar is never able to see the light of the world till the light of the world intervened. We have to know this. This man was beyond help. He was helpless and hopeless unless God intervened. There was no surgery that could provide for him any healing, as well as the fact that there were, he was unable to purchase any remedy, even if a remedy existed. He couldn't afford it. This man was completely and utterly dependent on God. Also, another point is the eyes of the disciples showed that no human eyes had mercy on this man. Right? All they wanted to know is who sinned. Was it his mom, was it dad, or was it him? Who sinned? That's what his disciples say. But Jesus, in tenderness, in gentleness, and in mercy, he drew the blind beggar to himself. Jesus approaches the unapproachable. Know that about our Savior. Jesus announced himself as the only one who had the power to speak light into darkness by saying he is the light of the world. Know that Jesus provided the opportunity for a miracle, but also a command to be followed. And a blind beggar had nothing in this world except Jesus and his word, and he obeyed and he gained his sight. We have to understand this as we go forward, okay? I just wanna be clear on where we were at last week, where we're at this week. These are the facts from the story that should highlight the fact that we are the blind beggar. We are the one who is lowly. We are the one who is lost. We are the one that is in need of mercy. And when Jesus sees us, he draws near to us and in his mercy, he gives us sight. That's the correct interpretation of this story. When we're looking at how does this apply We are the blind beggar. To make it clear for our walk as Christians that even if we are blind, just like in the Amazing Grace song, we can see. Know this, that the world will have issue with you. There will be opposition to you walking out what Christ wants you to walk out. Being like Jesus will cause some hostility Jesus says repeatedly that the world will hate you. He says this later in the Gospel of John, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me first before it hated you. If you were of the world, meaning if you did worldly things, if you were behaving like the world does, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. We know this, the world will hate People who follow Christ, follow Christ, disciples of Christ, do the works of Christ, obey Christ, not just call themselves Christians. We can't just fall into that trap of, yep, I'm a Christian, bearing fruit of a Christian. When we have been brought to life by Jesus, our value system should be changed. We are no longer a part of the world's structure. We aren't motivated by what motivates the world. We know we will be hated by the world. This is what the Bible says. This does not mean we hate in retaliation. This does not mean that we hate the way the world hates. This means we show love and mercy and grace. This is the reality that we are faced with here. In this section of the text, I see how it's broken down that Christ's work in our life can lead to Curiosity from the world. We see a little bit of curiosity and confusion by the neighbors. Or condemnation from the world. We see the religious elite condemning Jesus' actions, condemning this man, or Christ brings clarity. This man not only gets physical clarity from the restoration of his eyes. No, he gets spiritual clarity as Jesus, as Savior. He falls down and worships jesus at the end of this chapter this is the work of god that jesus was so eager to be displayed in this man's life it wasn't just the physical sight it's that he has went from death to life he is a new creation but that's mainly where we're headed you want a sermon in a sentence christ's work in our life can lead to curiosity from the world condemnation from the world or clarity from christ these are the three points that we will be talking about and this is where i'm headed down. Curiosity from the world. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Someone said, it is he. Others said, no, but it is like him. He kept on saying, no, I am the man. So they said to them, how are your eyes open? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. They said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. This is the first part of the story, but notice how the people were somewhat close to this man. They were somewhat close to this man. They seen him, and he seems unrecognizable. They can barely recognize this man, even though they were neighbors. And I tell you what, that convicted me. That really convicted me. They're asking the man who used to sit and beg, what are they asking? I was thinking about this as I was journaling. Do you guys know what shirt I wore last week? What shoes maybe your spouse had on yesterday, what they were wearing? What about your neighbors? Do you know their name? Do you know anything about them? You might see them daily. This even though it happened in the first century is so relevant to us right now. How often do we go around our life and see things or people vaguely recognize them? Right? We often in our life are just glancers. We don't gaze at anything. We just glance. We try to go and go and go and just look and look and look and look and look. Can't remember a thing. Can't see anything. Don't know what's going on because we're just glancing at everything. You may acknowledge that something is there. Think about the people who are in physical proximity to this man. They couldn't even tell if it was him. They didn't know if it was him. Did they glance or gaze? Did they ever know this man or was he just a passerby? But one thing is clear is that once you have an authentic encounter with Jesus, something should be recognizable. Something should be evident. Many of us find it hard to share our faith. Many of us even think it's impossible. We can't do this. I want to notice how this man was just in close proximity to the people he had been around. That was it, right? He didn't go into an evangelistic crusade. He didn't go to a, a, a conference or anything like that. He was just in close proximity with the people. He has always been around. But an encounter with Jesus has left him so radically changed, they asked him, hey, man, what's going on? That's why in 1 Peter 3.15 it says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks of you a reason for the hope that is in you. And do it with all gentleness and respect. This implies that if our lifestyle conduct should be so countercultural, our love should be so confusing, our joy should be so evident that people can't help to ask, what is going on with this guy? How is it that you are different? How is it or what is it that you have hope in? How does this man respond? It's so good because people ask me, How, how do you share your faith, Josh? How do you share your faith? So give me some tips on evangelism. I will give you tips on evangelism, and it is found in verse 11. I'm going to read it, and then we'll talk about it. He answered, This man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. That's it. You know what he did? He clearly recounts what Jesus did for him. That's it. This man says, Jesus did this. I am different. I am changed. I have hope because Jesus did this. Jesus did it. I didn't do anything. Jesus did it. I've been changed because of Jesus. The world can respond in various ways to Christ in your life, and we will see how the religious leaders have condemned this man, but here the neighbors are curious. They're even a little bit confused. They just wanna know how life change has taken place, how this man was blind, but now he sees. The practical takeaway for us is be quick to recount how Jesus has helped you. Be quick to recount the things. I talk about this and I please, I mean this. This is why journaling is important. This is why writing down these Ebenezers, right? In the Old Testament, we talk about these rocks of remembrance, I call them stones of faith or bricks of faith that build a firm foundation Write down the ways that God has shown you and showed up and provided. Because you're going to have dark nights. You're going to have hard nights. You're going to have difficult days. You're going to be like, God's not here. He's not present. You're going to have these dark nights of the soul when you have to sit down and be like, no, but he is faithful. I know that he is. We need to be quick to recount how Jesus has helped you and provided hope for you. Not even for other people around you, but for you yourself. I need that. If you are a Christian, write down these things, please. Notice this man didn't have to add any glitz or glamour. This man added nothing to the story, just a powerful story of what God did and how transformative it was. And I know what you're probably thinking. This dude was blind, Josh, and he received his sight. This guy was blind and received his sight. My story doesn't add up to that. I was saved at eight years old. Nothing cool happened. But I want to tell you today that the reality of the creator of the universe, the light of the world, coming down in flesh, meeting you in a place where you're at and choosing to reveal himself to you is a miracle. Is a miracle. Do not glance at what Christ has done for you, but gaze on it. Have your eyes fixated on it. There is no boring testimony. The light of the world is shining today, and he is illuminating eyes and hearts to his true nature. But not everyone receives this light. Some love darkness. They would rather stay there. They would rather attempt to reason their way out of clarity, because there is condemnation from the world. This is a large section of text. I'm going to be pulling out some things, but... I don't like to skip anything in the Word of God so I'm going to read a large section starting at verse 13. Condemnation from the world. They brought the Pharisees the man who had been formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him, How did he receive his sight? And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed and see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man, talking about Jesus, is not from God, for he, has, he does not keep the Sabbath. But other, others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes, talking about Jesus? He said, Well, he's a prophet, talking about Jesus. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called his parents and the man received his sight. Verse 19 says, they asked him, is this your son? Talking about the blind man. Who says he was born blind? How does he now see? Verse 20 says, his parents said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But now how he sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. Verse 22. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, that they should be put out of the synagogue. Remember, synagogue is a fancy word for the place where teaching happens. So think of uh, church. Think about how we are having teaching right there. Uh, So that put him out of church. Therefore, his parents said... He is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called a man who was born blind, and he said to them, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner, talking about Jesus. And he answered them, whether this man is a sinner, I do not know. But one thing I do know, that I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he tell you? What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear me again? Do you also want to be his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. This man answered, Why? This is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, yet he has opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has has it been heard that anyone has opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Verse 34, and they answered him, You were born in utter sin. Would you teach us? And they cast him out. Notice the difference between the religious elite and Jesus. Notice the difference Jesus is the one who draws near to people and the religiously have people bring them to them. Notice that. Verse 13, they brought the Pharisees to the man who had formerly been blind. They have a pretext to who Jesus is. This is a man who broke the Sabbath. This man can't be from God. Look how these men were not curious at the amazing work that a man who was born blind, received his sight. No, they were looking to condemn him. They missed the reality that the work of God was on display, that God is wanting to see redemption and reconciliation amongst his creation. He is the God who wants to restore. Jesus wants to give this man true rest on the day of rest. That's why he heals on the Sabbath. But Jesus didn't fit into their preconceived notions. These men were more blind than the blind man who was blind just days before. Notice their response. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division amongst them. The man says he is a prophet. And the Jews did not believe that he had been born blind to receive his sight. Until they called his parents. They couldn't believe the man's testimony. They thought, ah, there's something going on here. Something's not right. They were having the wool pulled over their eyes. In fact, they were just blind to the work of God moving around them. They do not believe this man. And the more I think about it, I don't think they wanted to believe this man. In order to believe Jesus, they would have to repent from their pride and cast aside everything that they were doing wrong. Repentance is a fruit of true belief. Being able to acknowledge that you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and saying, God, I need your mercy and grace, is the fruit of true believers. That's why in Matthew's, the Beatitudes start with, Blessed is the poor in spirit. This man was poor in spirit. He had nothing to lose. He was completely bankrupt. He lived his life as a lowly beggar, but in a position he could not be enslaved. He could not be enslaved to the cares of the world. This man had no other allegiance because he had no other option. His heart was not entangled with the cares of the world like the religious elite. Because his heart was not fixated on the things of this world, he got his physical sight, but most importantly, he got his spiritual sight. He got God as a savior. The embodied temple came to him. When the blind was unable to go into the temple itself, please, Pay attention to this. This is a God that we serve. This is the God that we love. This is a God who revealed himself to us. That this God comes into our life. The embodied temple of God came to this blind man. When the blind was unable to go into the temple himself. The Beatitudes also say, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This blind man had no allegiance looking to justify himself or the religious folks. The religious elite had allegiance to fame, to money, to power, to respect, to allegiance. Their hearts were entangled in the cares of this world, but that blind man had no allegiance. And looking to justify themselves, they said, I demand to talk to your parents. What the parents say? It's what the Pharisees asked. Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How does he now see? The parents answered, we know this is our son, and he was born blind. But how he sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He can speak for himself. The most heartbreaking verse, in my opinion, there's a few here, but I hate this idea. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews already agreed that anyone who should confess Jesus as Christ would be put out of the synagogue. These men were so power-hungry that in order to keep the religious statutes, they threatened to force people away from God. This is what the blind religious elite do. They not only couldn't see the Son of God who was right in front of their midst, they were using fear and intimidation to blind the eyes of others. Let us never be like this. Let us never use intimidation to be a means for getting what we want twisting the arms of people let us reason in love let our speech be seasoned with grace let the lord's kindness through let the lord's kindness through us lead other people to repentance not our threatening or intimidation these men are not curious or even confused to what christ has done They're looking to condemn him and anyone who follows him, knowing that this is the path of the true Christian. The Lord has said the world will hate us, but let us learn from the blind man's testimony. He stays at the course. He stands firm. When they question him again, even threatens, pay attention to his response, verse 30. Why? This is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone who is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard anyone open the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. What would you teach us? And they cast him out. He gets it, he sees, he understands. Not just physical sight, he has spiritual insight. His eyes have been open to much more than blue skies and the faces of his parents. It has changed him and opened him up to the beauty and the person and the work of Christ. And this insight brings everything else into alignment. He said these things understanding the consequences that he would be thrown out. He knew he would be cast out by the world, but he does not care. He has lived a life as an outcast, and God has met him there. And he stands firm in his convictions. This man truly has clarity from Christ, and this is the last point. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I come into this world, for those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now I say to you, uh, but now that you say we see, your guilt remains. What a beautiful section. The man who has been cast out from the place where men should be able to meet God. God meets him there. Know this, please. Understand this, please. God meets him there. Jesus is the God of the outcast. If you feel lost, if you feel hopeless, if you feel abandoned... God is the God of the outcast. He draws near to those who are far off. Let that sink into your heart. Do not think that God is only for the ones who have it all together, the leaders, the elite. No, he is the one who draws near to the outcast. What does he do? Let me read this slowly. Jesus heard that he had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Jesus heard that this man was cast out, and he finds him. Brothers and sisters, our Savior finds you. He seeks after you. He comes to where you're at in your most downcast moment. Imagine the joy that this man probably just felt. For the first time, being able to worship, to see his family, to be able to see his friends, to be able to see his neighbors, and immediately getting waves and bombardment of condemnation. Cast out once again. But Jesus seeks him. Jesus finds him. Jesus asks the simple question that we, that he is still asking today. Jesus asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in Jesus, his death, burial, resurrection, his life? His life that was lived in perfect obedience for you. A gift to be received. Jesus' life. Is the life that the Father sees. Jesus' obedience is the obedience that God the Father sees when He looks at you. And this is why we have access to the Father. This is why we have a reason. This is why we have hope. This isn't about me. This isn't about what I can do to please God. Because God is completely pleased in Jesus, and Jesus has been given as a substitute. And this clarity is the clarity that Jesus provides. Verse 36 says, He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him. He is the one who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who may see may become blind. Know this, that Jesus is the giver of sight. If you are born blind, you can receive your sight from Christ. Know that. He will show you your purpose, your meaning, what those things look like in him. Everything is skewed if we don't have our vision set on him. The issue is that pride fills our hearts and blinds us. If we think we see, but we do not see through Jesus' eyes, we are still blind. There's no way we can see apart from Christ. This day can be the day that we go to the pool of Siloam. That can be our moment for us today. Go into that pool and wash, wash our eyes, knowing that Jesus Christ is the only one, but he washes away all of our sins. That we can stand spotless before God, that he is our Savior, our King. And just like the blind man, we get to fall down and worship him, knowing that he is the author and perfecter of our faith. I just want to close us in prayer. Father, thank you for these men and women. Thank you for these children. Thank you for the people who can hear. Thank you for the eyes that have been opened. Thank you for the hearts that have been opened. I pray that you give us wisdom and understanding, hope, and peace. You are our God. You are our Savior. You are our king. Teach us to see like you see, to care like you care, to love like you love, because that's what Christianity looks like biblically. It looks like Jesus, doesn't look like the world. I pray that we would be countercultural, not countercultural for the sake of being cool, but just biblical. Teach us to love our enemies. Teach us to love those who persecute us. Teach us to be gentle and kind. I pray that we would all live lives that outsiders would look and say, what is the meaning of hope in this man or woman or child? And we could say with confidence, Jesus Christ, my King. Be with us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. What a gift it is to be able to hear from from the word of the Lord. Um, that really was it, was, it was so good to hear. And I, I hope you are all able to, to take notes if you're a note taker. Um, I, I know I, I got some and I, uh, I plan on talking to my neighbors some more. Um, but we get to partake of communion together as a, as a family. We get to uh, proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ together through through our, our actions here. You know the the the, the, the bread and the, the, the juice rep-